Hello, hello, and welcome to the Gardner Carney Leadership Institute podcast. The GCLI has developed the pedagogy of leadership, which combines brain science, leadership studies, cultural competency, and developmental psychology. Its mission is to teach teachers to teach leadership to students. This is your go-to podcast for discussions, tips, and stories for leadership and leadership education. And I am your host, Catherine Birdie, but please call me Birdie. Our world is in dire need of people just like you, people who are committed to building communities of leaders, young and old. So let's get busy leading the next generation of leaders, and thank you for joining us. Hello, hello, GCLI. It's Birdie here. Welcome to the Gardner Carney Leadership Institute podcast. Today, I am thrilled to bring you a coach, teacher, dean, upper school head, national championship collegiate lacrosse player, jiu-jitsu practitioner, and now he's adding published author to his long list of credentials. His book, Principal Leader, is expected out at the end of this year, and his personal pedagogy and approach to leadership education has been informed by his work at the Bullis School in Potomac, Maryland, extensive personal research, and information gleaned from the Gardner Carney Leadership Institute, Stanley King, and Leadership and Design. Everyone here to talk about asking for help, values, and humility, it is my great pleasure to bring you Bobby Policino. Hey, Bobby, how you doing? I'm doing excellent, Bertie. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here. I really appreciate it. And before we get into the heart of the discussion about leadership and values and humility, I'd like to speak about two words in the Bullis mission statement that really speak to me. They're two words that I think the world needs now more than ever, and we need it in large doses. So the mission statement or the last sentences of the mission statement read, meaningful opportunities in academics, arts, athletic, and service that stimulate individual and collective growth. And here are the two words, guys, enhance joy, enhance joy. I love, love, love this so much. Can you Tell me how joy manifests itself in the Bullis School. Yeah, it's an excellent question. I appreciate you asking that, Bertie, and pointing out our mission statement. You know, we are very fortunate in that we are a K-12 school on one campus. So we have five-year-olds to 18-year-olds that are walking around the same campus. So, you know, anytime you see kindergartners, you know, running off to the dining hall, it's hard not to smile and, and have a little joy. Uh, the challenge for us working in the upper school, obviously, is how do we maintain that when we know the stress that comes with being in high school, um, whether it's tests, whether it's um, college applications, uh, athletics, whatever it may be. Uh, and we look for little ways to do that. And one of the ways that we've done that, our Dean of Student Life started Fire Fridays, uh, which stands for Fun, Involvement, Recharge, and Enthusiasm. And every Friday at lunch, we have an hour-long lunch, uh, we get out games. There's Giant Connect Four, there's Giant Jenga, there's Spike Ball, there's kids uh, out with jump ropes, and we see Double Dutch going on. They're playing with chalk, and they're smiling. You know, they're having fun and they're being kids. And it's just a reminder for them uh, that while there 
are going to be important parts of their day, you know, during the school day in the classroom. There's also time to have fun and take a break and just enjoy each other's company. Um, and I would say for me, it's, it's probably the best part of my week because when I go out there and I see the smiles and I hear the laughter and sometimes you see teachers getting involved, throwing the Frisbee or playing spike ball, it just really enhances that experience. That's just awesome. I know that as we start back to school, I know that most teachers are hopeful and excited about the possibilities of a new school year. And I think that is a great idea to bring to any academic institution. So thanks for sharing that. And along those lines, I think, is, um, you know, if joy is something you aspire to, I know that you believe that asking for help is something that you want your students to aspire to. And you see that as a virtue of leadership, which in some ways is paradoxical. Can you give me a little bit of context about that idea and how that plays into joy and humility? Sure. You know, for many, many years, we always looked at leaders to have all the answers, right? We'd go to them with our problems and they they bring those solutions for us and we carry them forward uh, without actually maybe developing our own sense of purpose or our own understanding of of what the problem was. Um, That was certainly sort of an experience I had growing up uh, in high school and college as well. Um, And my first year as the head of the upper school at Bullis was a struggle. I came from being the dean of students, being the varsity boys lacrosse coach, um, felt like I had a pretty good understanding of the school and what needed to be done. but I wasn't asking for help. I wasn't going to people that had been there in different roles and and getting support. And I realized after that first year um, that I needed to ask questions. I needed to make sure that I had a better understanding of what people around me needed so that I could better serve them. You know, all of us bring a different perspective and a different lens. Uh, If we don't ask questions, we're never gonna know what that is for that other person. And so having that humility to accept that um, what got us here won't get us there, right? And that sort of idea of, of what we need to do next. Uh, and, and the way to find out what to do next is ask questions and then to genuinely listen uh, and have that humility to do that, to be able to say, I'm not sure what the next step is, or I'm not sure what the best answer is, or what do you think we should do? You know, what approach would you take? Um, and when we do that, as adults, when we go to our students and say that, hey, here's this proposal that some of your senior class members want to represent. What do you think as the senior reps? How should we go about that? And by showing students the importance of doing that, you're helping them down that path around uh, appreciating what others can give to you. You know, we often will tell students that the smartest person in the room is the room, but we don't necessarily model that. And it's something that's important. Yep. What follows, and then what follows through on that birdie, at, I think, is gratitude because you appreciate the members of your team. You appreciate the people in your community who bring that different lens and that different perspective. And what comes from that gratitude goes right back to that joy and feeling that sense of pride and joy in being part of a community. So it's really cyclical. Absolutely. I'm an Enneagram too, which is the helper. I don't know if you've ever studied the Enneagram, but asking for help is hard for me um, to do. I love to offer help, but I don't often 
uh, seek help. And I love that it's kind of in your leadership paradigm. I also love that it's modeled for students. I do think though, and I'm, I'm curious, like the, the fun, the fire Fridays and other things that you do, it, it, you, the last word you said, community. I think that it takes a very, very tight knit community and strong relationships to feel safe asking for help. And mm-hmm. what are some things that you guys do to enable students to feel safe coming to teachers to ask for help where they won't feel like it's a, um, you know, there's, is that a natural thing in your community to ask right. for help or, and then, and then peer to peer colleague to colleague help as well. Is it just baked in or uh, has it been cultural growth over time? How do y'all do that? It, it's still a work in progress. I would say, you know, every year you bring in new students and new faculty and it's something that you have to continue to discuss and talk about you know, there are some easy ways to do that in the classroom if you use, you know, exit tickets and things like that where students can write down questions on their way out as opposed to having to raise their hand or from a technology perspective. Uh, just today, I was leading a session with our new faculty and I used Pear Deck, an educational technology tool where students can answer questions anonymously. And so then you can show those answers up on the board and uh, what students then see on the screen is, oh, there are other people that thought the same thing I did that wasn't right, or maybe I did get it right, whatever it may be. So providing some of those opportunities where they can do that, uh, you know, we certainly try to model that as well in faculty meetings and, and ask questions and make it so that the people in the room feel comfortable asking those questions. And sometimes we don't always do as good a job modeling that as we need to. And I think what's really important is recognizing when that happens. And then going back to the group and Mm -hmm. saying, you know what, I didn't stop to ask if everybody understood this, or I didn't stop to ask if anybody had any questions. Or I asked if anybody had questions and my wait time was three seconds and then we moved on. You know, so even developing that skill for wait time, some, you know, sometimes that you can get those questions asked. So uh, by no means are we done with this area. It's, It's an important growth area for us. It's an important growth area for me as a school leader to continue to develop that skill. Yeah, me too. It's really, um, it's, it's tough, but it sounds like the transparency that you guys have and the intentionality is incredible. I think that's awesome. And the kids see it and they, they do model, they do model it. Um, back to the gratitude piece that you mentioned. Can you tell us how gratitude kind of factors into your leadership education paradigm. Sure. Uh, You know, gratitude has such an important role in how we look at everyday life. And, you know, once we recognize that we have enough, you know, we stop constantly seeking for something else or, or looking at what we lack. And for me, that was also a shift and something that I had to really think about and, and change my perspective. And it started about five years ago when I started doing a gratitude journal. So um, every morning I journal and I always end it with what are three things that you're grateful for in your life. And it's really had a dramatic impact on uh, how I interact with my own children at home, uh, my spouse, uh, and you know what I bring forward uh, to our faculty. And we talk about 
gratitude and the importance of it. Um, and to your point about sort of what we can model for students and what they see, last year, members of our National Honor Society started leaving boxes around campus where students could write a note of gratitude or appreciation to a teacher and put it in the box. And then every Friday at our upper school assembly, three or four students get up and they read those notes of gratitude. And the impact that you see it has on this assembly of you know 500 plus students and 100 and so teachers, um, the student whose name is read obviously feels appreciated. And, you know, you see the smile on their face, but everybody in the room feels that as well. You know, we talk about emotional contagion, and I think when you see a colleague being recognized and appreciated, and you see it happen consistently every week, not just a one-off, you feel that as well. And it's so important for educators right now who've really been in a difficult p position these last few years of the way they've been characterized. Um, you know, these are people who come every day and give their very best to other people's children. You know, that's what they signed up for, and that's what's important to them and their life's mission. And so the more that we can recognize that, uh, the stronger community is going to be. I don't think I have any words other than bingo. You got it. <laughs> I mean, that is, <laughs> it really joy, humility, <laughs> I mean, gratitude. It seems like this just kind of magical place. And I know that it's not, there's no perfect magical school, but um, I do love that it's, um, it is, it aspires to that. And I think that that is, incredible. And I think it's a great example for other teachers and schools and parents. Um, yeah. So let's go back to the role of, I guess, humility. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm fascinated by that, mainly because I think it is. Um, I mean, you see, you, we talk about, we hear about servant leadership, and, and, and that, that paradox really does seem to evade some people when it comes to what leadership really looks like when when one is um, kind of coming to a, a position of leadership with humility. How do mm -hmm. you see students uh, acting in that capacity? I think it's hard for students because, you know, as a teenager, you think about the, the persona that you're putting off. And, you know, as a developing mind and we know that their minds are developing into their 20s um, it's really there's a paradox you know I mentioned this before but you may be confidence in humility and so you feel that you have to be having this air of confidence about you as you walk down the hall right or as you're sitting in AP US history or whatever it may be uh, and so to ask a question then what does that mean about who I am? What does that mean about anything? Or, you know, even to the student athlete, and they say, hey, it's a big game Friday, and are you going to win? You know, and of course we're going to win, right? It, it doesn't feel natural to say, well, we have to go out and play our best. They're a good team. You know, I mean, even seasoned veterans <laughs> in the NBA and Major League Baseball and pro football struggle with that sometimes. So it's not easy. You know, it's just something that you know, our coaches do talk to our student-athletes about our, we talk about it in advisory, we talk about it in classes of, you know, just sort of, you know, being your best self. And that's really what matters. Uh, and knowing the, the importance of self-awareness. You know, what do I know? What do I want to know? Who do I have to ask to get that information? And how do we go about that process? Um, and for some students that clicks more easily than others. 
Um, and so we have to continue to deliver that message as frequently as we can and as often as we can. You know, I think um, an important message to try to share with them, um, you know, Peter Drucker said, you know, we should want to make a difference, not prove how smart we are um, or how right we are, but we should want to make a difference. And, you know, service is an important part of what our students do at Bullis. Uh, unlike some schools, we don't require service hours. We believe that it's something you should naturally give, not have to do as a graduation requirement. Uh, and every year we have students that are earning 50, 75, 100 hours of service in a year because they see that and they want to be a part of giving back. And some of them do it right in our community. We have a fantastic student tutor program. We have high school students that are tutoring lower schoolers and middle schoolers and you know they want to give back to Bullis and and make Bullis a better place. That's awesome. So we've talked about joy, asking for help, gratitude, humility, which are all in some form or fashion values. Mm -hmm. And leadership and values go hand in hand. You speak to self-awareness as well. And I think you know, it's it's all part of the leadership soup, but leadership and values, if they go hand in hand, what does that mean in a time when values are so fiercely held? And sometimes there's a lot of contention between students' values, school values, personal yeah. values. How do you how do you navigate that space? So this past year, I read Adam Grant's Think Again, which I I believe came out at the very uh, timely. <laughs> uh, period for all of us, you know, as we think about those values, exactly what you said, sort of why do we hold some of these values so um, tightly? And where did we get that information from or those lessons from? And should we continue to do that? And, and how do we evaluate them? And, and what are we looking at? And why? Um, you know, to get to a place where we can have civil discourse and dialogue is so important. Um, and to be able to recognize that we don't have to agree, but that we can be respectful. And that if we make connections with each other within our communities, um, that we can agree to disagree. Um, but it's hard because the modeling that's out there in social media or on television is a lot of uh, yelling over each other. It's not communicating. And so I think to go into a conversation and say, you know, there are going to be different perspectives on this novel. There's going to be different perspectives when we cover this part of U.S. history. And that's okay. We want to talk through that. We're going to talk about what values we espouse at Bullis. And we're very clear with our students and our families that while we are not going to get into a political realm, you know, we do value equity. We do value diversity. We do value service. We go through those these different aspects. Inclusion is an important part of the work that we do. And say that that's not, we're not going to politicize that. We're just going to say that that's important to us and we're going to uphold that. That's awesome. Really awesome. So your book coming out, Principled Leader. Uh, when did that, when did, when did you kind of get the idea to write a book and sit down and do it? I started writing about three years ago, not really sure what direction it was going to go in, just putting down ideas that I'd been learning, you know, as I continued to want to grow and develop. I, as I said, when that first year, um, 
I didn't bring a different lens. I didn't bring any humility or gratitude into this position, and it was a struggle. And um, so that year, I, I started looking at um, different ways to lead and go into the process. I read Simon Sinek's Start With Why, and that had a really big impact on me. Uh, and so, as I said, three years ago, just looking at some of the choices I was making and the way I was trying to lead, uh, I also recognized that some of what I was talking about uh, in the hallways, in the classroom, at assembly, I wasn't always following through with those same issues or same values, excuse me, um, outside of school. There, there, were, there was a cognitive dissonance that I was definitely feeling, um, which I don't think is uncommon for educators, right? We, we try to be this one thing every day in school for, you know, eight, 10 hours a day. And then when we're out of school saying, okay, I you know, take a breath and, and what am I doing and how am I spending my time? Uh, and so writing that down made that very clear to me that there was some cognitive dissonance uh, between what I was saying and what I was doing and choices I was making every day. Uh, and so this really helped to, to push that through. And then obviously um, being home in uh, spring of 2020, you know, provided me with more time to, to how I spent my mornings. Um, I, I feel very fortunate in that uh, that spring of 2020, um, I continued my own sort of self-discipline around my schedule. So I still got up at 4.30 in the morning to exercise and journal and read. And then I had more time though, because I wasn't getting three kids out of bed to then drive to school. They were able to sleep in. I had more time to focus on the writing and was able to really do that and um, and just feel very fortunate that uh, Road to Awesome Publishing has agreed to put my book out at the end of the year. Well, it sounds like you made the best of the pandemic in, in a way that is going to serve others very, very well. I cannot wait to get my hands on the book. And you mentioned Think Again, which is one of my favorites. Um, Simon Sinek is also awesome. So we've talked about a lot, a lot of great things here. And um, I hope listeners, it doesn't feel too all over the place. But I think it also speaks to the fact that leadership is not linear. It, it involves no. all of these elements. And I love that you that you approached this uh, when, when we talked about coming to the podcast with these ideas, they really, um, they're all so important in the leadership equation. And I really am so grateful for your time and your wisdom as you approach this new year. I wish you the best. Thank you, Bertie. I really appreciate you giving me the time. Enjoyed our conversation. I did too. Do you have anything else to offer? I would just say to every current leader, aspiring leader, educator who is leading in their classroom, um, you know, you need to come in every day and, and do your best on that day and know that some days are going to be harder than others. And as long as we're just seeking um, continual growth and improvement and and learning, um, that that's what our students need to see and they'll benefit from that. So just keep that in mind. Absolutely. That's the perfect way to close. Thank you so much, Bobby. Thanks, Bertie. Thank y'all for joining us today, and we'll see you in two weeks' time. Until then, visit us at gcliadership.org and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. You'll find all of our links at the bottom of our podcast. And until then, lead on. <laughs>